All right, you may be seated. How are we doing tonight? Good? Okay, cool. I wasn't here for the first part of the service. I was in the main service. Um, but when I came in, Bree told me that you guys had lots of energy tonight. And so that's, this is great. I love this. I told, my response to her was, hopefully I don't put them to sleep. Um, so no promises, all right? So, all right, go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. Um, if I haven't gotten the chance to meet you yet, my name is Tommy, and I serve as the young adults pastor here at Idlewild, and so uh, I oversee our college and young adults ministry. So some of you guys, as soon as you are uh, graduated from high school, you can come hang out with us in young adults. So how many, how many people are going into their senior year? Like you're about to start, se- that's a lot, okay. Do we have the new freshmen in here yet or no? No? Okay. All right. So it's just people who have already been in high school. Okay. That's great. Um, I know some of you guys may have been expecting Pastor Zach tonight. I'm sorry that I'm not Pastor Zach. All right. But you know what? Just wait a little bit longer. Okay. Just a little bit longer. And uh, well, I'm super excited. I'm very, very excited for you guys. Uh, in the little bit of time I've spent with him, um, he has just like thoroughly uh, impressed me in just the kind of person that he is, the kind of man of God he is, uh, the husband and father he is, the pastor and teacher and preacher of God's word that he is, you guys are getting uh, the highest quality high school pastor. And so you guys should be very, very excited for what's to come. So uh, be excited. So for tonight, we're in John chapter six. Um, I was thinking about this text earlier. um, And I was thinking about how something in this text relates to something I feel like I experience sometimes. And I didn't know if you guys experienced this. Have you ever you guys experienced where like you have a super long day and a bunch of stuff happens. And then when you go to bed that night and you're like thinking through everything that's happened that day, you're like, wait, was that actually today? No, okay, all right, fine, all right, all right. I'm trying to be relatable, okay? Like, no. All right, you you know what I'm talking about though. It's like maybe you're going on a trip and uh, you wake up at like 4 a.m. and then you get on a plane, you're like a plane to another plane to another plane. You finally get where you're going and then it's like, you know, 1 a.m. and you're finally there and you're like, well, if it's 1 a.m., it's not the same day. It's 11.59 p.m. and you're laying down in bed and you're like, was that even today? It feels like it was like three days ago. I would imagine that in our passage tonight, that is how the disciples felt. See, in Jesus's three-year public earthly ministry, the Bible recounts um, accounts a bunch of different miracles that Jesus did. And we don't have all the miracles Jesus did. The book of John says that uh, if they were to write down everything that Jesus did while he was on earth, that the whole earth wouldn't have enough pieces of paper, enough pages to fill it with all the things that Jesus did. But there are handfuls uh, of miracles that the Bible accounts. And in those three years and all the miracles that happened, um, two of Jesus's most famous miracles, which were uh, already familiar with most likely, two of those miracles actually occur on the same day. And that's the feeding of the 5,000 and then Jesus walking on water. And so you have those things here in John chapter six happening on the same day. At dinner time, Jesus multiplies the fish and the bread like we've heard before, and he feeds the 5,000, and then the sun goes down, and then that very night is the same night that Jesus walks on water. And with these two miracles that happen in the same day, even though they are different miracles, they don't seem similar on the surface other than the fact that they happen in the same day, uh, the message and the lesson that these miracles teach us actually go hand in hand. And so my prayer tonight is as we look at this one really half of a day uh, in Jesus's ministry and we look at these two miracles that our hearts would leave here strengthened and encouraged uh, by what the word of God says tonight. So we're gonna be in John chapter six. We're gonna read starting in verse one. We're gonna start with the feeding of the 5,000 here. So John chapter six, verse one, the Bible says this. After this, Jesus crossed the sea of Galilee or Tiberias 
A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and he noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. We're going to have two truths tonight that we'll see from these two different miracles on that same day. First truth we'll see tonight is this. Number one, we can obey God in the midst of uncertainty because God is a faithful provider. We can obey God. We can pursue after the Lord, even in the midst of uncertainty. Why? Because God has proved himself to be a faithful provider. Think about what's happening here. Jesus and his disciples, they're sitting on a mountainside. It says there was plenty of grass. And so I just imagine this like big field and this mountain and they're sitting there um, just hanging out, just the 13 of them. And then all of a sudden in the distance, they see this huge crowd coming toward them. Maybe it looks like ants in the distance at first, and as they continue to come forward, they see just how many people there are. And when we say that this was a huge crowd, um, you know, huge could be a relative term. Um, This could be a huge crowd right here, but this wasn't like a huge crowd like this room. This was a huge crowd in that it was probably 10 to 15,000 people. So the Bible says that there were 5,000 men there, but when you add in uh, the women and the children that likely would have been with them, we're looking at 10 to 15,000 people. So that, if you want a mental picture there, that's somewhere between the capacity of the Yingling Center at USF, which is about 10,000 something, and then Amelie Arena. So it's somewhere between that number of people that are coming to Jesus, and they're coming to Jesus because of the miracles that they've seen him do. And these people need to be fed. According to Matthew's account of this same event, it's starting to get late, and so these crowds are hungry. The problem is that there's no food anywhere nearby. And so Jesus asks Philip what they should do to, to test him, and Philip says, I have no idea what we should do. He says, first off, there's no food anywhere around here, and even if there was, we could have 200 denarii, which would be like about half a year's salary, and even that much money would not be enough to feed all of these people. And then Andrew brings a small boy who has two fish and five loaves of bread, which likely would have been just enough for that little boy for one meal. And so there's not food for the people. So Jesus has asked the disciples, hey, how are we going to feed these people, these 15,000 people? How are we going to feed them? And so the disciples are here, and they don't know what to do. There's thousands of hungry people, and there's no way that they're going to be able to feed them. All they have is just enough food from this small boy. 
And then Jesus says to them, notice what Jesus says to them after they kind of realize where they're at in the situation. The next thing Jesus says, it's a command. And he says, have the people sit down. Have the people sit down. The NIV, it translates this phrase as have the people sit down for a meal. Why? Because if they're going and having the people sit down in their culture, they're, they're providing the expectation now that they're going to eat, that there's going to be some food. And so you can imagine the, um, conf- the confusement. Confusement's not a word. You can imagine how confused the disciples were whenever Jesus goes to them and says, hey, how are we going to feed these people? And they say, we don't know. There's no food. Even if we, there was food, we don't have money for food. And Jesus says, okay, have the people sit down. Basically, go to these 15,000 people and provide them with the expectation that they are about to eat a meal. If there's 12 disciples, and let's say there was 12,000 people even there, that means that each one of the disciples has to go to 1,000 different people and tell them to sit down, basically saying, hey, you are about to get fed. And they did this when they had no idea that where the food was coming from. They had no idea what was going on. But they obeyed the command of Jesus, even in the midst of this uncertainty. And because of their obedience, through their obedience, God multiplied the food. He provided enough for everyone who was there. He worked a miracle, and he showed himself to be a faithful provider. So where does the application come in for us from from this story? Well, in our lives, and specifically for you guys in the stage of life you're in right now, there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, there's uncertainty in general in the world. It seems like things are always changing. It seems like there's always a new news headline. You just can't keep up with everything that's happening. But even as high school students, there's a lot of uncertainty. I don't think there's a single person in this room who would say, hey, I have a perfect plan. I know exactly what my life is going to be like in five years, in six years. Maybe some of you guys do. There's probably a time in my life where I thought uh, that I did. But none of us could say that. Maybe there's uncertainty about what you're going to do after high school. Maybe there's uncertainty about what you just want to do with your life in general. Maybe there's uncertainty about if and when God's going to bring a relationship into your life. Maybe it's uncertainty, be, uncertainty about a possible move for your family, or maybe you're starting a new school this year and you don't know what that's going to look like. We all go through seasons of uncertainty and life, and this uncertainty often causes anxiety. See, it would have been easy for the disciples to allow their uncertainty or their lack of control over this situation to stall their obedience to Jesus. When he said, hey, have all these people sit down, they could have responded and said, Jesus, there's no way that we're going to have all these people sit down. There's no way that we're going to get all these thousands of people ready to eat when we don't have any food. But that's not what we see here from the disciples. They didn't question. They didn't pause. No, it says that they obeyed. And as they obeyed, Jesus showed himself to be a faithful provider. They simply listened to Jesus, focused on obeying him, and he took care of the rest. And when we are in seasons of uncertainty, we can respond in one of two ways. We can either allow that season to stall us in our pursuit of Christ, not wanting to continue forward in our walk with God until everything is figured out, or we can allow the unknown to drive us closer to God. We can either shift our time and our energy and our attention from God onto our situation until our situation is resolved, 
or we can continue to pursue Christ and trust him to provide. Don't allow a season of waiting or uncertainty in your life to stall your obedience to Jesus. Continue to follow after him. Continue to pursue him. Continue to grow in him. Continue to invest yourself into the local church and Christian community. Continue to flee sin and pursue righteousness. Maybe you don't have all the answers. Maybe you'll never have answers, but that's okay. God is in complete control, and he will provide for everything you need in his way and his timing if you would only keep your focus on him first. This is what we see in Matthew chapter 6. This is the promise that God gives us. Matthew chapter 6, many of us know these verses. The Bible says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you'll drink or about your body or what you're going to wear. Isn't life more than food? Isn't the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to your life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and then thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first, pursue first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We must obey and seek after God, even in the midst of uncertainty, because he is a faithful provider. Now look down in verse 16, we'll look at this second miracle, the one that happens that night. Verse 16, it says this, when the evening came, the same night, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and they started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose and the sea began to churn. So there's a storm happening. And after they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid, but he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. When they were willing to take him on board, then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat at the shore, was at the shore where they were heading. The second truth we see from our text tonight is this. We can trust God in the midst of fear because he is a sovereign Savior. We can trust God even in the midst of our own fear. Why? Because God is a sovereign Savior. So later that night, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, the disciples get in a boat and they head across the sea to Capernaum. They were by themselves because Jesus had gone, it says, to a remote place to pray. And so the disciples get in the boat, just the 12 of them, they head over the sea. It gets dark, and then it says that the wind picks up. The waves begin crashing against the side of the boat. And they're sitting there rowing. In fact, Mark's account says that they were straining at the oars. And so this is a pretty serious storm that the disciples are going through. And they're straining. They're trying with everything uh, they have in order to keep the boat afloat. And then if that storm's not bad enough, they see something out in the distance walking in the water towards them. And it's Jesus. We know it's Jesus because at the time this was recorded, they had known it was Jesus. But at the first 
time that they saw it, they didn't know it was Jesus. And it says that they were afraid. In Matthew and Mark's accounts, it actually says that they were crying out in fear because they thought it was a ghost. And so here the disciples are probably already kind of scared for their life because of this storm. They're trying with all their might to keep the boat afloat. And if that's not bad enough, they see this ghost in the distance, slowly, eerily making their way towards them. They think, oh man, we are done now. They're screaming out in fear. But then as the the ghost, not really a ghost, Jesus gets closer to them, they hear these words, it is I, don't be afraid. And at that moment, they recognize, no, this isn't a ghost. No, this is Jesus. And they let Jesus into the boat and the winds calm down, the waves stop, and they eventually get to their destination safely. What we see here is that even in an intense and frightening situation on multiple levels, Jesus told them not to fear. But notice here in the text, notice what Jesus pairs his command not to fear with. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. That's how it's in the English. In the Greek, the phrase it is I is the phrase ego a me, which can also be translated as I am, do not be afraid. Jesus says here, I am, do not be afraid. This should remind you probably of the Old Testament when Moses says to the Lord, what, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. I am the I am. And so what happens here? Jesus directly connects the command not to fear, even in the midst of this horrible situation. He connects that command not to fear with the reality, with the truth that he is the I am. He is God. He is the self-existent one. He is the one who depends on no one. He is the one on whom all things depend. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the creator and sovereign Lord of all the universe. And as the I am, his presence means that there is no reason to fear, even in the midst of moments as scary as this one. It's interesting that the reason they were so scared is because they saw Jesus and they thought he was a ghost. And yet the one that they thought was a ghost who was coming to destroy them was actually God who was coming to work a miracle and save them. Now don't miss that. Don't let that go over your head. See, sometimes the scariest situations, sometimes the darkest situations in our lives are the ones in which God is actually moving the most. The situations in your life right now, you know what they are. I don't know what they are. But the ones that are the darkest, the ones that are the most hopeless, the ones that are the most anxiety-inducing, these are the very same situations where God is most powerfully at work. And sometimes we're fearful and we're anxious in the midst of these things because we think that we're about to be destroyed when it's actually God that's moving so that we can see just how glorious and how good and how powerful he is. Listen, I don't know what your life was like this week. I don't know what your summer was like. I don't know if you're on a mountaintop. I don't know if you're in a valley. I don't know what it is that keeps you up at night. But listen, God does know. And he is a faithful provider. And because of that, we can obey him even in the midst of uncertainty, even when we don't have all the answers. 
And God is a sovereign Savior. And so we can trust him even in the midst of our fear and our doubt. See, as Christians, for those of us who know Christ, we have experienced these very truths to be true because they are on full display in the gospel. When we were at our lowest, when we were in the tightest spot that we had ever been in, which was in our sin, dead in our sin, lifeless, hopeless in our sin, condemned by our sin. When we were in that situation at that time, while we were yet sinners, God showed himself to be a faithful provider and a sovereign savior. He sent Jesus to die on the cross to rescue us, to pay for our sins so that through faith in Christ, we could have those sins forgiven and so we could have eternal life. And if we can trust him for our salvation, if he saved us when we were in that place, then surely we can trust him now. If he redeemed us from eternity and hell, if he sent Jesus to rescue us then, the Bible says in Romans 8, how will he not with Jesus also give us all things? He can rescue us now. He was worthy to be trusted then. He is still worthy to be trusted today. And if you're going through a season of discouragement, you can take heart in these truths. And maybe you're here tonight and you're not going through a season of discouragement. Maybe things are pretty good right now. My guess is that you probably have a friend who is walking through a season of discouragement right now. This is an opportunity for you to take the truth of God's word to your friend to be a comfort to them. So we're going to go ahead and pray tonight. And I think we're going to sing one more song before we go. But tonight, if you have something that's heavy on your heart, maybe a situation you've been holding on to, something that you've been wrestling with, with anxiety, I would encourage you tonight as we sing, give that over to the Lord. He is worthy to be trusted. He is worthy to be obeyed. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. Uh, We thank you that you never stop working. Lord, like we sing sometimes, even when we uh, don't see it, even when we don't feel it, Lord, we can trust that you are always working. As we've heard the past couple Sunday mornings, Lord, in Romans 8, you work all things together for good to those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. So, Lord, we trust in your goodness. We trust in your love for us. We trust that your disposition toward us through Christ is one of gentleness. It's one of love. It's one of mercy and grace. Lord, help us to trust you more every single day, even when we don't have all the answers, even when we don't see how it all works together. Lord, help us to trust you and obey you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.